Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. Preston Waters, you know what you've got? P-O-D-C-A-S-T podcast. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. <laughs> Hello, everybody. My name is Griffin Newman. David Sims here. This is a podcast called Blank Check with Griffin and David. We are hashtag the two friends. Correct. Two friends. We host this podcast. Uh-huh. That's our competitive advantage. That It's true. It's almost, we're, we're kind of juiced, one might say. Yes. Not to foreshadow. Oh, a tip of the we, cap. We've been juicing. We've been juicing. With friendship. Yes. Uh, branding is king in this day and age. Sure. And look, who are we? We're content makers, right? We're content makers. We're brand kings. Yes. We're juiced to the gills with friendship juice. Social influencers, definitely. We're influencers. We're thinkfluencers. Yes. And I don't know where I'm going with it. Brandfluencers. <laughs> Brandfluencers. Uh, and we both have influenza. So this uh, <laughs> not impossible. is a podcast about uh, directors. Usually. Mm-hmm. Who experience massive success early on and are usually. given usually <laughs> are given a series of blank checks to uh, make whatever they want. Sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes those checks bounce, baby. Usually, usually. But what if for today, a special day, our one hundredth episode? Return of that uh, sound effect. <laughs> Remember when I used to do that a lot? Yeah, I didn't like it. <laughs> you never did that, and for good reason. It's new. It's We only do it on a hundo. Nope. For our 100th episode, we're going to do something very special. Mm. Because uh, ever since we uh, dubbed this podcast Blank Check, there's one question I've gotten a lot. I don't know if you get it as much. I No, oh, I get it. Go, what's your podcast? It's called Blank Check. It's about movies. Oh, is it about that movie Blank Check? No, it's not. Well, you got this from like Jessica Williams or whatever, right? I got this like, when I was on Two Dope Queens, right, and it was right. like, oh man, what a good platform! Right, right. You're like, here, I'm podcast. here to promote my podcast, right? And I was like, I got a podcast about movies. It's called Blank Check, and they were like, oh my god, is it about that movie Blank Check? And I was like, no. And they were like, oh. And in front of a live audience, I saw everyone's like shoulders slump. Jesus. Yeah. Well, that's why people tune in to slump their shoulders. Yes. To, to our beautiful chats. Right. But so we we said, let's get meta. Right. Hey, it's the 100th episode. What else are we going to do? Why Talk we... about our dicks? Come on. Yeah. Which was our second idea. It was. It was a close runner-up. <laughs> it was. Yeah. Um, We were going to talk about our dicks as if we got a blank check to make our dicks whatever they wanted. We wanted them to be. Oh, interesting. Yeah. You could have any dick. <laughs> pasta hut. Pasta hut. Would have been real pasta hut of us. Would have been real pasta hut of us. Uh, pasta the hut. Yeah. So uh, we said, well, let's get meta. Let's make an episode about the movie we share a name with that is about someone being given a blank check. Yes. This is not a blank check movie. Let's make a movie in which someone gets an actual blank check rather than a metaphorical blank check. This is not a movie about the filmmakers having a blank check. I just want to clarify something. As much as we say that, say, James Cameron got a blank check for Titanic, no, he didn't. There was money. There was a number. There was a. Mu- there it was wasn't a actually blank. Right now, maybe it started out a little blank. The studio was like, "How much do you think this would cost?" And he was like, two forty, and right. they were like, <sighs> "But and maybe, maybe he said it's going to cost one fifty, and it ended up costing more." Sure. Nonetheless, never was there 
an exchange where a blank check was handed This is over. a great point, because in this episode, we're getting meta, and we're getting literal. Exactly. No more fucking metaphors for you. And they thought we couldn't give you 90 minutes of content about this fucking movie. Hey, we're content slingers, baby. That's what we do. <laughs> to get onto this discussion, we have to introduce the third wheel of our bicycle. Yeah, we do. He's a producer of this podcast. Um, yes, he is. Also a Bendoucer, a pro-doer. He's the poet laureate. He's the peeper. He's the tiebreaker. He's the fuck master. He's not Professor Crispy. You can wish him a hello, family. The poet laureate, did I say that already? Mm. Uh, he is White Hot Benny. He's Soaking Wet Benny. He is the fart detective. He is the meat lover. He is Dirt Bike Benny. Wish him a hello, Fennel, if you mm-hmm. see him. This is kind of a Dirt Bike Benny movie. This is Oh, a, hells yeah. I got... That's why I'm introducing him early on, because right. this character, this no, movie no. feels like yeah, exactly. the ben, Adventures the of ben Young Ben. The Ben Hosley story. Yes. yes. Blank well, check. Well, spoiler, the... don't say his name yet. Sorry, sorry. He's graduated to certain titles over the course of different miniseries, such as Kylo Ben, producer Ben Kenobi. Why do you always say it wrong? Kenobi. Because that's his name. Oh, because I'm a bay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank Kenobi. You. That's yes. what, all right. Okay. Obi-Wan Kenobi is named Obi-Wan Kenobi, but producer Ben Kenobi <laughs> is named producer Ben Kenobi. That's how you pronounce it. Ben Ashamalan Ben say say anything. Ailey Ben's with a dollar sign and uh, although I that's a spoiler. Ben, will you bleep that out? Oh yes. Yeah, Ben, bleep that the fuck out. Jesus, that's how far ahead we are though. Yeah. Well done though. Yeah. Thank well you. done in theory, being on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Being on the new name, but of course we're not actually going to need the new name for four months. Hey, you know what they say about me? That Griffin Newman, he sure can learn patterns. Yeah. So I learned that new pattern quickly, but a little too quickly. Anyway. Anyway, guys, I'm happy to be discussing this film. I also have people, when I explain the show, ask me if we've ever talked about this movie. So uh, finally we're doing it. We're finally doing it. So I just want to start off right right at the top and just say, Funky Cold Medina. (laughs) I have a a question for you guys relating to the the tagline of this movie. Ten comedy points, Ben. Yes? Yeah, well done, Ben. Uh, when Preston Waters sees an opportunity, he takes it, right? Okay. That's the tagline of the movie. Sure. Sounds um, a little... Please? It sounds a little locker room talky, if you uh, know what I'm saying. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Good call. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's turn that euphemism into a euphemism for what it's trying not to be a euphemism for. That's that what I think sense. we need to do, right. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because here's what I don't like. I don't like when people go like, that's a little grab them by the pussy. No, it's not a little any. Yeah, right. That can't be a little of right, that. Right. What we should say is that's a little locker room talk. Allies. And use locker room talk as a euphemism for sexual assault. Anytime I, I'm being, anyway, it doesn't matter. Allied? Yes. Yeah. I, oh, allied. Allied, though. Two and a half stars. Oh, four. <laughs> a gentleman's four. Uh, so when you guys see an opportunity, do you take it? That's, that's just my question. Uh, you're asking. You're asking me. Yeah. No, obviously not. Right. You kidding me? I miss every shot. Same. <laughs> when I see an opportunity, I'm like, oh god, I, I I hurt my foot. I can't come outside today. Yeah. I'm like the inverse of that fucking Wayne Gretzky, like a uh, fucking mantra. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, what is? I don't actually know. What's his mantra? You, you miss a hundred percent of the shots. Oh, you don't sure, take. sure, of course, classic. I'm like, I don't need to take a shot. My back's hurting. <laughs> blank check. The movie's called Blank Check. <laughs> a Rupert Wainwright film. Uh yes, uh no relation, no relation to the to Loudon or and or Rufus and or uh who's What's the sister? Uh, yeah, uh, uh no relation. I that was my first question. 
and of course because they're they're a showbiz fam, right? Uh, Martha uh, Wainwright. Martha, Martha Wainwright. Wainwright. Now, this is a director who uh, eventually moved on to doing like horror films. He did the Fog remake and Stigmata. He got. You wanted me to run down some uh, some Rupert Wainwright sure. joints for you. We well, started Look, out as a music video director. Started that, out as a music yeah. video director in the hip hop genre. Yes. Worked with N.W.A. Tone Loke. Worked with M.C. Hammer. Tone Loke. With Tone Loke. The great Tone Loke. Uh huh. This is his debut film. Didn't he do uh, the the MC Hammer movie? The that is a straight to video movie. But yes, Hammer and yes, Home. Right, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, blank check. Then he makes a movie in '98 called The Sadness of Sex. Oof, sounds like the sounds Griffin like Newman kind story. Of movie. Yeah. yeah, we both uh, were rushing to get to that joke. Jesus Christ, this looks like a goddamn disaster. And then Stigmata, as you mentioned, right, a little bit of career um, rebrand there. The the fog, right. which was a remake with Tom Welling, I think. Yes, famously a movie that took me a very long time to guess in the box office game. That's correct, and because then, uh, that movie doesn't exist. He's done a little a little bit of TV work, but that's kind of it. Yeah, I went to his IMDb page. I looked he's at his English. biography. He's English, so you must be proud. I'm so proud. Uh, he made a Dillinger TV movie. He won a Grammy for the Please Damp Hammer Don't Hurt Him the movie in 1991. That's what I was talking about. No, yeah. there's also Hammer and Home, though. There, there are, And he was nominated for a Grammy for that as well. Okay, well, the one I was thinking of was Please Hammer Don't Hurt Him. But these are, but and, and you know, he made uh, uh, You Can't Touch This video, which is a famous video. Yes. Uh, he did the Too Legit to Quit video. Lots of, you know, Straight Out of Compton video. A lot of classics of the early A lot 90s. of classics. And this does have... Uh, this movie has a real early 90s MTV movie uh, video, I'm sorry, MTV video vibe. Now, I'm tired of this, like, 90s kid. You don't, you're you a 90s kid if... Oh, sure. 90s right, yeah. The BuzzFeedification yeah. of the 90s. Right. But this is the fucking 90s movie No offense ever. to BuzzFeed. Uh, yes. This movie's so fucking 90s. In every way, and, down to its fucked up morality. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of people throw that like, oh my God, this is so 90s on this stuff. Like, dude, that's so 90s. It's just like, oh, because what, they're wearing a sideways hat. But this movie's no, like it is. top to bottom, aesthetically, morally, culturally, right. a and 90s Americana just movie. In its like conception, just like the yeah. idea of this movie. Everything about it. Well, it's also. Where it's like, it's like they just stop bothering with anything but like. Yeah, what do kids like? They like to have stuff. Here's the other thing about this movie that's very 90s. This movie's written by a man named... Blake Snyder. So Blake an Snyder... An American screenwriter. Was, ...was known in Hollywood for a pre period of time as the king of the spec script. He wrote Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, which he sold for like a gazillion dollars, right? He sold for like $2 million and there was a bidding war. Like it was like... $500,000 like actually. Okay, okay. But everyone but was like... For then, lots. A lot. Everyone was like fighting for it aggressively, and the movie's a disaster. Not only is it a huge flop, but it's True. like a punchline for, especially for Stallone, who's had a lot of embarrassing films. That still ends it's up being true. It's one the of his, one, one they of his use a shorthand. Famed bad, and he sold blank check for a million dollars. Okay, that's where I was. Which is oh, ironic, sure, considering the sum right at the heart of the movie blank check right, is a million dollars. I think he sold thirteen spec scripts, including one that he. Um, was setting up with Spielberg at Amblin. Spielberg was a good direct, but it was going to be an Amblin movie. Nuclear Family. Yes. Uh, none of the other ones got produced. Yeah, no. He, but he sold a lot of scripts, which, hey, you know, that's, a lot of people make their living in Hollywood just writing scripts that never go anywhere. But that, to me, is very quintessentially 90s because there was that 80s sort of arms race thing where it was like uh, your Shane Blacks and your Joe Esterhouses Joe Esterhouse. yeah. who were like coming up with these crazy spec scripts and it was like, who can 
sell more. And it becomes and suddenly this, like the elevator pitch becomes right. this like hallowed art. Right. Where it's like, if you can just get in the room for five minutes and be like, here's my idea. It's die hard, you know, in a staircase, like, you know, and it's right. gonna star. I'm thinking fucking Sly Stallone, I don't, whatever, you know, right? Like, well, and I also think like you think I mean, about Stop or My Mom will shoot is, yes, right? Like, 100%. it's like Golden Girls. You love it, right? Right. Estelle Getty, you think she's funny? Sly Stallone. <laughs> right. Let me, like, you know, that's here's yes. the catch. They're wet. <laughs> here's right. the catch. They're, they're wet. wet is exactly how Ben would do an elevator pitch. <laughs> but I also think that's, that's this transformation that really sort of like, takes hold in the 90s like it starts in the 80s and by the 90s no, by becomes... the 90s the script writer is suddenly someone who you're hearing about it's like like the ones you just mentioned where it's like ooh, they're making millions well i also think like you know if you look at movies or tv shows i almost knocked over my mic so excited about the point i'm gonna make yes if you look at movies or tv shows that depict like show business and have scenes where people are pitching stuff yeah like before the 80s if there's a pitch scene it's someone going like there's a girl, and God, she wants to get out of this town. But sure. there's a boy, and he keeps her there. Right. And they're like pitching this story from an emotional level. Right. And then by the time you get to the 90s, if they're parodies of show business, when there's a pitch, they're like, it's Die Hard, but in a submarine. Right. Like it suddenly becomes like the pitch isn't an emotional story. The pitch is what's the hook? What's the elevator pitch? What's your one sentence log line? Sure. And it becomes if you got that, and then your script is quote unquote functional, yeah. you can make a million dollars. Right. And Esther House and Shane Black get into this like, Dick measuring contest where they were like, who can write a script faster? Who can and sell it for more? Most, yeah. And both of them sort of crashed as a result of this. Well, yeah, especially because these movies fucking suck that they start me, especially especially Esther House. Right. And Shane Black like goes into the wilderness for a while and like reevaluates and then comes back really strong. Right. Esther House never fucking recovers. Well, yeah, uh burn Hollywood burn. That that kills him. Right. Yeah. Um, but th- this is this period of time where you have people like Blake Snyder who I think are like looking at Sure. What Shane Black and Esther okay. said. We've made our points. Carry on. Sorry. I interrupted you. And so it's very nice to be like, you what? come up with a hot concept. Yeah, we get it. Can you make it work? Now, Blake Snyder, most famously, after that's this movie. That's what I'm trying to get you to. That's what I'm getting to. Okay. I was going there, baby. Mm-hmm. I was driving there. Yeah, but slowly. M- make your point. Oh, now he's, now he's trolling me. Uh-huh. Let me just. Straighten my bow tie here. Okay. He wrote a book called Save the Cat. He did. Which is uh, it, one of the most famous. Colon, the last book on screenwriting you'll ever need. Right. Okay, so that's what it is, right? Still the number one selling book among screenwriting man- manuals on Amazon. I was going to say. So there's there's like, a, you know, Robert McKee's story. A classic. And Save the Cla- Cat. Save the Clap. Save the Clap. Uh, Save the Clap is uh, a book about STDs. Save the Cat is a book that Blake Snyder wrote um, that is sort of like the, the fucking accessible, like fucking, you know, this is like uh, like the colloquial fucking screenwriting book. Robert McKee's all heady. This is just like, look, this is just how shit fucking works. Yeah, he, if the hero saves a cat, the audience likes it. It's them. basically like a bunch of hack bullshit. It's right. basically just like where he like watches movies and he's like, you know how an alien... Ripley saves the cat, and that's why you like her. That's the key to screenwriting. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? He found a lot. That's not why Alien is good. Yeah, it's good because that fucking Alien. That's like a decent little detail in Alien. Right. Like, I mean, it also leads. I think to any time I've watched Alien, with somebody who's never seen it, half the time I feel like when she goes for the cat, they're like, not the fucking cat. Yes. Who cares about the cat? I agree. Every time I've seen <laughs> Alien in a theater, that's happened. 
Or they go like, are you fucking kidding me? Leave Jonesy behind. Alien's stressful. At that point, you just want her to get away from the goddamn alien. Like, that's partly, it's not just that you don't care about the cat. Yeah, also, her saving the cat happens so late in the movie that if he's like. like, Right at the end of the movie. He's theorizing that that's what gets the audience on board with Ripley as a character. He's a goddamn idiot. Right. But he's also dead. Let's point that out. But. uh, Blake Snyder? Yeah, he died in like 2009. Yeah, but when he wrote the book, he was alive. And he was yes. an idiot. Yes. And now he was an idiot. Right. So uh, it, he looked at like all the most successful and beloved movies of all time and would like, oh, what are the common denominators here? Sure. And tried to reverse engineer a screenwriting book from that. There are things you could fucking ascertain it's, from that book in the dude, sense that a broken clock is wrong shit. twice a day. Wrong twice a day. Right. Twice a day. Wrong the other. All, all the other times right. of the day. Yeah. I'm not going to do that math. No. Um, so, uh, yeah, that sort of becomes his legacy. And, th- and that's like this weird asterisk to this movie is that, you know, like Robert McKee, everyone goes like, well, Robert McKee, Robert McKee. And they go like, yeah, but show me what fucking screenplays has sure, he written. Right. Why is this guy the fucking authority on screenwriting when his last credit is story consultant on direct-to-video Barbie movie, which is Robert McKee's last credit? Uh, sure. Okay. Story consultant on direct-to-video Barbie movie. Why not? Gotta make that money. They go like, that book's, he's a blowhard. He's full of hot air. You should read a book by a guy who's actually sold, produced, Who are these screenplays. straw men that you're talking about? Blake Snyder. You go, <laughs> sure. oh, what did he write? Blank check. Blank check and uh, stop my mom will shoot, bro. But I feel like blank check is like its greatest lasting cultural legacy is that it's like written by the Save the Cat guy. Yeah, well, I don't think that's true, but I, that, I think I think that is one of its cultural legacies. I think it's honestly, I think its greatest cultural legacy is literally just that it became synonymous with the term blank check. Like, yeah. a term that before then was not synonymous with really, you know, anything past, like, a sort of general phrase of, like, oh, you know, you know name your price, right? Well, especially like, if you were a 90s kid. Only 90s kids will remember this. But it, it would be your introduction to the term, which also means it was your introduction to thinking about money in a different way. Right. Like, something like Richie Rich was just abstract. It's like, he just comes from money. He's really rich. But Blank Check is like, what if you got a lot of money? Now, I think in a previous podcast, or in a future podcast, I referenced the fact that McDon- that he has McDonald's in his house. And that's in Richie Rich. I yeah. might have said that it was in Blank Check. I can't remember now. I think you confused it. I yeah. may have. But I remember, I mean, actually, I may have thought it was in both. But it's, it, it is in Richie Rich. It's not in Blank Check. That's all. Can I pitch you on the accidental this- trilogy I just came up with? Okay. Uh, I, I said this to Ben. I think there are three movies that are of a piece that all come out within three years. Of each well, other. Richie Rich is the same year, 94. Right. This, this is film. All, this is 94. And what's and, the other and one? And First Kid. Which I've never seen. Uh, I want to look up the year. That's the, um, the, the president's movie with son old Sinbad. And Sinbad. Uh, 96. Star of Shazam. Sure. Uh, That's the fake movie that we all imagined. No, but I remember it, David. Mm-hmm. Look, David, if I remember something from my childhood, and now you're telling me it's different than what I remembered, that certainly can't be the faulty memory of a fucking two-year-old. I don't fucking under. I don't want to get into that. We have to. We have to be stay on target with blank check. Yeah, it's weird that no Mandela effects about things that happened three years ago. It's only stuff you wouldn't remember anymore because you were a fucking child. And you didn't know how to read. Okay. All right. Go ahead. First kid, Sinbad is the cool. Like, I mean that that's like the relationship between the fucking chauffeur and Preston Waters in this stretch out to a whole movie. Sure, and it's not the money as much as the access. It was like right. this trilogy of films about like, what if you were a kid who had all the access in the world, but you also didn't have friends. Right. Um, but Blank Check is fascinating to me. Um, because 
I'm just the amount of people involved with this movie who are dead is alarming. Right? I was saying this to you because last night. Because we were talking about it last night, then I didn't know Snyder was dead. He's dead too. The guy who played the limo driver is dead. Rick DeCumman. They, they're all dying. Miguel Ferrer. Mel, uh, Miguel yeah. Ferrer. Right. Uh, and uh, fucking uh, Michael Lerner. Michael Lerner's still alive. I got scared for a second. I thought he was dead. I did too. Is it Rebhorn's dead? And yes, Rebhorn's dead. John Polito recently died. John Polito's in this movie? No, but no. I'm saying you might have been confusing Michael Lerner and John Polito. Maybe that is what it is because right. I was thinking of just you lost like a Coen early Coen brother guys. Right. Uh, I was going to say because right, Lerner was actually in Hail Caesar and, and quite funny in a very brief role. Oh, right. I forgot yeah. he was in it. And then Tone Luke didn't die, but collapsed last year on stage or something. Oh, so, boy. like, you know, just, like, everybody fucking watch their backs. And also, Seabaron Jamal tragically uh, canceled after only one season. Tone Luke's cartoon show where he played a <laughs> streetwise teddy bear. I'm sure you all remember Seabaron Jamal. Uh, and Karen Duffy is paralyzed. Karen Duffy's paralyzed? I think she's okay now. She got neurosarcoidosis. Jesus okay. Christ. Okay. It's just a little alarming, and if I was Brian Bonsall, I would just, like, watch my back. There's That's a curse. all. Have you looked at Brian Bonsall? Uh, Who plays Preston Waters? Yes, Look. I have. Yes, I have. He's like a punk singer and now. He, no, but also he got arrested for, like, domestic violence yes, and he shit. Did. He's like a bad person. He's a bad dude. So, like, everyone. How's Jane Atkinson? She was, she was in 24. You know what? She's doing okay. She's doing okay. But she's there, married. There is this movie's kind of cursed a That's lot of people who worked on it. Uh, if Michael Lerner's family is listening right now, please, please take out a life insurance policy. I mean, the biggest one Lerner's you can afford. Seventy-five, like a, you know, I suppose he's he's you know he's doing fine. Like right, it would be less. No, I'm not going to talk about this. this. Is weird. It would just be less shocking if we lost Michael Lerner just because he's a little older. It's sure. just it's weird. How, you know, some of these people not that old. Yeah, well, especially C. Baron Jamal was just sort of getting its sea legs. I mean, they were just cracking those characters. All right, all right. The story potential was huge for that show. Uh-huh. The bear was streetwise, David. Uh-huh. Sea bear. Yeah. And Jamal. I, please, we don't have much time. We got all the time in the world. We got a blank check, baby. <laughs> okay. So here's the thing that I find interesting about blank check. This movie sucks. Uh, it's one of the worst films I've ever seen in my entire life. David texted me last night and said this is actually the worst movie I've ever seen. You you hated it. I was... And here's the thing. Sometimes I'll be more mad at a movie if I feel like it's wasting my time. You know, like if I, I have things to do and it's like, yeah. shit, I gotta watch this bullshit right now. I had nothing to do. Yeah. Like I was, I was sort of, you know, I had it on and I was like, you know, doing some other stuff, that, you know, just because it's a boring movie. But like... Wasn't really sucking up my time. I had, I had a free evening. I, I my it. my apartment's a mess right now, and I really need to clean up, like do like a massive cleanup and reorganization. But I was like, oh fuck, I gotta watch this movie. Like you text me, and I forgot that I hadn't watched it yet, and I was irritated while watching a movie that it was taking me away from doing a thing I've been procrastinating from doing for weeks. Go ahead, cleaning my room. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I was just like, oh great, you can watch that movie. That's an excuse to not clean your room. And then I started watching the movie, and I was like, man, I wish I was cleaning my room right now. Yeah, it's a maybe a movie you could tolerate if you were, like, packing. I'm trying to think of, like, some terrible activity. Well, on the other hand, you got to focus on it, because the, the micro details are alarming in this movie. That's true, and it is uh, a film that is largely visual. Oh, Jesus! Oh, boy. Turn your phone off. I'm doing it. I get, like, 25 robocalls a day. Uh, you were with me that time that guy called and told me he was going to beat up my mother. Do you remember that? Yep, that was weird. Because I hung up on a robocall. Um, okay. 
Okay. Please turn your phone off. Um, what is passing? So many montages. So, so many you montages. Ha- and like wordless montages that you have to pay attention. You have to pay attention. Yes. But this movie is, it totally makes sense that this movie was written by someone who wrote a screenwriting guide. It makes That makes sense. It makes sense that the movie came out in 94. Yes. It, it feels like an overreach by Disney because it's a Disney movie and you're yeah. like, you know, the Disney brand meant something, but like, and in the 90s, I would say actually it did again, but there was a time when it did not. What I was saying to Mr. Hosative before we recorded Amen. is that yes. like, you can't even fathom the idea of Disney making a movie like this today. Because no. they're so brand focused, and anything they make that doesn't fit into one of their so-called brand silos, yeah, they're silos, yeah, right, mm-hmm. is like an inspirational true story. Exactly, sure, right. You know, yes, yes. like a million dollar arm, That's right. a Disney movie, right? Or or something the weird. No, it wasn't million. It's the one about the cricket. Yeah, it's called players. Million Dollar Arm. That was Disney. Yeah, that's it. Right. Yes. Yeah, with John Hamm. Right. Yeah. yeah. Queen of Cotway. You know, Queen of Cotway. Sure. Something where it's like, right, this is not exactly. A Disney animation film or a Marvel right. movie or whatever, but like at least it's like a Disney. It's like it's something that would be on the cover of People magazine, like Finest Hours, which was you know, which like was pop, a, based on I think true a mistake story. on their on yeah. their part. Although I like that movie, but yes, but but inspirational true yes, story. Definitely, uh, I'd say the only other outliers are like if you have something like BFG or Into the Woods, which is like high profile director adapts oh, sure. well known no, source an material. Oscar movie, sure, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. but something like this, like I mean. They don't even make these types of films as vehicles for their Disney Channel stars anymore, which they used to. You used to have your things like Prom or College Road Trip. You could maybe see this as a TV movie these days. Maybe. maybe. A movie like this. Anyway. Maybe. Anyway, you're right that it does seem weird that Disney made it. It was a time where Disney didn't mean much, especially on the live action. And they were Disney you know, was yeah, spreading around its money a little it more. It was the middle of the animation renaissance, but live action, they had no idea what the fuck they were doing. And also, Disney would never release a film that is... This morally fucking okay. Like, so this is why I hated the movie. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a sick movie. You you texted that it represents everything that's wrong with America today. That's probably part of the reason I hated it right now. I think so. because certainly we are living in bad times, and this is a movie that reinforces nothing good. Yeah, but let me give you a quick rundown of this movie. Okay. Okay. The kid's twelve years old. Is I'm, he twelve? He looks so much twelve. Younger. He does look younger. He's a twerp. I was a. I mean, I, I mean, was let me look up really his... high at the time. Yeah. Uh, he was born in 81, so he is older at he, the time. He's just like a weird little kid. Yeah. He's supposed to be 12. Okay. He lives with his family. Doesn't it, he even, like, I'm sorry, just not even on a visual level, doesn't the way the character is written read as, like, He reads as, like, a nine-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. Like, who doesn't, who hasn't even sort of, like, started thinking about sex yet, but yeah. he's 12. Okay. Um... He's got no friends. You pointed out he's a sociopath. This, to me, is the most disturbing part of the movie. (laughs) He does not have any friends. But. There's one other kid his age in the movie who is presented only as, like, kind of a Antagonistic figure. Yeah. He doesn't even have bullies, though. He doesn't have anything. He doesn't interact with anyone his age. Just his brothers who are, like, dipshits. His brothers who are older entrepreneurs. I didn't really figure out what the fuck would deal with his his brothers. Uh, But this is a key point, because, like, a differentiating factor between this... We should say Brian Bonsall, he was on Family Ties. He was, like, a a vaguely well-known little actor at the time. You know, that's all. I'm just on a little. He's real little in this movie. Yeah. They get some good comedy out of the suits fitting him poorly. They do, yes. And he was also, on Star Trek, he was Alexander. He was Worf's son. But, you know, he's wearing, like, a Klingon forehead, so it's hard to tell. Humble brag. Sure. Uh, (laughs) Okay. But um, Richie Rich is about a kid who doesn't have any friends. But that's what it's about. Well, he wants friends. Exactly. His only friend is a butler. Right. 
But also, Richie Rich is based on like it's like it was an Archie cartoon, right? You know, like Richie Rich is is a movie about how wealth isolates you from people. Exactly. Blank Check I, is sort of trying to be that movie at right at the end. Like it, it's sort of like well, and also uh, the wealth isolated from people. At no point during the movie does that seem true. Well, this is the point I'm trying to make, is that, like, the entire story of Richie Rich is wealth isolates him. It's about him right. trying He's to form a relationship. Right, He has no friends. He wants friends. First kid is about the fact that this kid's isolated because right. he's in the White His House. dad's the president, so... His best yeah. friend has to become a Secret Service agent. These are, these are the meat of what the movie's about. This movie is about a kid who gets a blank check. Also, for some reason, he doesn't interact with any kids. Right. So like, let me, let me continue that. running down the story. He's a sociopath. You've got a kid. He's 12. He lives with his perfectly nice-seeming family in the suburbs somewhere. Where it's set in, It was filmed in Austin, right. uh, Will Goss told us. Yes. Uh, the great Will Shout Goss. out Will Goss, yes. Um, and Austin, Texas. So his dad, James Rebhorn, is the some great- sort of... Love James Rebhorn. No beef with Rebhorn. This movie has such good character actors. Kind of an odd role for Rebhorn, though, because Rebhorn usually plays scary guys with veins throbbing in their foreheads or, like, you know, bureaucrats or kind of like B list villains. Like, you know what I mean? Oh, see, but see, I think this falls into the other Rebhorn silo, if you will. Which is. Which is uh, a very composed, well spoken, uh, seemingly high status doofus who doesn't know what's going on. Very true. I see like I've seen him do that in comedies before, where it's like I'm speaking very intelligently, but the joke is that he's oblivious. But I feel like this movie doesn't quite know what to do with his character. No, and he's too good for this movie. He is too good for. He's it. playing this role. Anyone in this movie who is good is too good for this movie. He's playing this role. He's trying hard to make this role better than it is in the script. He's trying to plus the character on the page, sure, and in the process makes the movie more confusing. Because imbuing the yes. character with that much humanity makes the film track less. Okay, so wait, wait, right? I, yeah, no, you're right, but I, I just want to finish the plot here. He he doesn't like his life because his dad, who's an entrepreneur, and his mother, who sits at the, the kitchen table and does nothing in this movie ever. Well, she's a professional kitchen table sitter, and clearly does not fuck James Redhorn because James Redhorn is horny in is this movie. Thirsty. He's real horny. Yeah, and every time he, <laughs> he like, keeps talking about how horny he is. Every time he talks about how horny he is, she just gives him a look. Like, yeah, she just rolls her <laughs> eyes. Like it's, it's like, a living. It's yeah, it's like, like she, it really is. It's the worst sitcom shit you've ever seen. But she's not even Where like... it's just like, huh, when you get married, you never fuck again. And now David's the one knocking the mic over. He did a full... David did it like a little fist dance. Um, the, but but it's not like uh, she's actively resenting him. Like, it's not like she's like, shut no, the it's fuck just up like, with this sex It's just talk. like, <laughs> yeah. too bad, gilded cage, motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jane Atkinson yeah. is the wife. I can't have sex because I'm too busy sitting at this table. <laughs> I ain't moving from the table. <laughs> yeah. dun, dun. Anyway, so. You like, got to fuck around this table if you want some. Uh, we should say the kid's name is uh, Preston. Preston. Uh, Preston Waters. Waters. I was going to say Winters. When he, takes an, when he sees an opportunity, he takes it. Um, I know it's bad. So his brother, he can't get his own room because his brothers need a room for their office. Yeah, so I'd say that's the that's primary conflict. It's of the a movie. legit beef, I guess, but I don't. I mean, it's a weird one. But that's the plot motivator. Is it that is. He wants his own bedroom. And he keeps he, on going to them and being like, "I need my own bedroom," and they're like, "You can't." Get they're me. like, "Sorry, because your your kid, your brothers who are teenagers have a business." And he's like, well, that's that seems like a bad reason, which is the one time I'm on board with him where I'm like, wait, yeah, <laughs> if they have a business, can't they just get an office somewhere else? And Rebhorn's reply is, one, my house, my rules, which is a good reply. Sure. And two, like, when I was your age, I had a business, which, like, okay, fucking let him have a room. He's 12. He's got to start jerking off. Right. It's a very capitalist movie. Yeah. Jesus. Well, it's, yes. Yeah. 
but it's like you can't, you have no sway in this house because you aren't an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where is your earning power, buddy? Yeah. You get a room when you have a business. Yeah. So it's anyway. a twelve-year-old played by a thirteen-year-old who looks like an eight-year-old. <laughs> the only reason to have uh, this subplot, I feel like, is so the kids get an advanced Macintosh computer, which can then be used Home Alone style. For hijinks. Well, but see, can th- we talk about the computer? We though? will when yeah. I'm done running down the plot. Go I ahead. have thoughts on it. I do think this is where you see the save the cat in this movie. Uh huh. It's that like. Well, you mean like because of course eventually like he needs to get his own room as the like emotional movie, conclusion of the this story. This movie is pretty fucking airtight in terms of setup. Sure. Yeah. Well, and I, I, I that's sort of like like praising mein Kampf on having like good turn of phrase but it, but it is like you, you kind of see that like okay this guy did fucking break down the semiotics for how to make a functional uninteresting movie i guess so like it's like i just feel like i've seen it better what's the conflict he doesn't have his own room why because his siblings run a business out of there how can he get his own room his dad says he needs to start his own business so what does he do he uses the computer that he has in his room because it's being taken over by his brother's office, you know? Yeah. And the fucking integration of the Michael Lerner thing. Like, it is, it's pretty tight in how much, because yeah. I, I was right. rewatching it being like, what fucking hoops are they going to have to go jump through to justify this? And I was like, the first 30 minutes, it all kind of no checks out. No, I'm out of it. I'm not all saying right. it's good. All right, I'm doing the plot. Get, get away. Get out of here. All right. Now, I remember when I was a kid. Okay, let me get out of here. When I was a kid. Step, the... step, step, <sighs> step, 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 step. Don't we have a time limit, Ben? Step, step. See you later, David. I'm getting out of here. Oh, God, guys, I really hate that bit. Creek slam. Uh, that's a comedy bang bang bit. The creek slam part. R.I.P. here as well. Yes. Um, uh, Sorry, I walked back in to say that. Let me do that again. <laughs> creek slam. When I was a kid, I thought that it was weird that this movie made so many narrative justifications for the fact that he walks into a bank with a check for a million dollars and gets a million dollars, right, in cash. When I was a kid, I thought the way it worked was like, if you've got the check, they got to give you the money. Like, you know, I didn't get why there had to be the stuff with the mobster. Uh, Obviously now, I understand. I saw this movie when I was eight in theaters. That's the only time I'd ever seen it before. Great. Door open. Hey, uh, sorry, I I was- You can stay. Jesus Christ, enough. Okay. Um, So what I was thinking while uh, I was outside- Uh When I was a kid, I didn't understand why the movie had to offer so many narrative justifications. This is not funny. Well, it is funny. Well, what, I this is just uh, a point I independently came up with ben, when I was can outside you the yell studio. At him? Why? What's Griffin doing now? <laughs> I I did I rewatching it, not having seen it in years. I was like, I'm gonna roll my eyes so fucking hard where you get to the scene where he shows up with the check and the bank's like, here you go. Wait, you didn't remember the... Uh... I didn't. I didn't remember any of okay, that. All right. I just remember a guy hit him, he went to the bank, they gave him the money. Oh, I remember the opposite, which was there had to be a lot of hoops for it to jump through. Right. When I was a kid, I was like, but if you have a check, like, isn't that all you need? Faint praise award. I want to give this movie credit for, for jumping through those hoops. No! Just because it, it does better than the mind of an eight-year-old yeah. doesn't count as praise. Yeah. No. Okay, so the idea is Miguel Ferrer, who I believe we opened the movie with him digging up uh, uh, some money, or right? Like, we do. And this yeah. is something I want to highlight right here. This movie was lensed oh. by the great the great Bill Pope. I was going to say great Dick Bill Poop Pope. for a second. Dick Poop is another great cinematographer, yeah. but Bill Pope. This is Bill Pope, who uh, <laughs> frequent collaborator of Edgar Wright, Sam Raimi. And the Wachowskis. And the Wachowskis. Yep. Three, three amazing 
uh, filmmakers sure. has has lensed uh, incredible films. I'm gonna keep on saying lensing because I want to. I want to sound a great like lenser. A great lenser. Chris Frames. Um, this movie is uh, has the mise en scène uh-huh. of a, a '90s neo noir. Sure, it does. That's true. Like I rewatched it, I expecting mean, it to look not, like a sitcom. It's not great looking, but it's better looking than it needs to be. I was very impressed. Yeah, and and like once again, maybe low bar. Like I was expecting no, it to look it's like got some interesting shots, especially that shot where he like drops the um. VR helmet onto Michael Lerner's head and yeah. like tortures him with visual feedback. Well, and it's also got what the this hell sort is of, going on there. It's got this sort of like sunset color palette. Yeah, yeah. Like it's qu- kind hey, of Austin. Hue. You know, the air snaps. Right. It's like you know, it feels really snap, crackle pop. It feels really vaporwave. Ben, you just want to say vaporwave a lot. <laughs> Here, Ben. Just lay some vaporwave under the rest of my plot description, okay? Oh, hell yeah. All right, okay. I, I just think... I've got to do less of the rest of my plot description. You look at that opening scene, and it yeah. looks like it's opening from a, scene is a like, real prison It looks movie. like blood simple. It's yes. like it's like uh, rain, dark, you know, uh, like thunder flashing, It's like Tim Robbins lightning. pops out of the poop pipe yeah. in Shawshank Redemption, except with Miguel Ferrer, and you're like, wait, okay. what? So, Miguel, what? Miguel Ferrer, yeah. uh, he's a... Mobster, gangster, I don't know, bank robber, I don't know what the fuck he is. He he escaped from prison. A criminal. He's a criminal. Sure. He escaped from prison. He digs up $1 million. He goes back to a bank. <laughs> uh, what, what are you laughing at? Uh, $1 million. $1 million. And for the listener at home, I'm, I'm putting my pinky up to the side of my mouth. I think Griffin thinks we need to vamp a lot on this podcast. That's why he's doing so oh, many oh, bits. Griffin, I'm that's a, a reference today. to um, <laughs> it, uh, the spy who shagged me. Yeah, good one. Remember the spy who shagged me? Yeah. Well, well that's one of them. I guess. Uh, they, they one of what? There's, there's more than one spy who shagged me movie? That's, that's like a shit bit on shit bit. I'm in a good mood today. <laughs> that's good. I'm glad you're in a good mood. I'm in a weirdly bad mood. Yeah, because you watch Blank <laughs> Yeah. No, okay. He takes the million bucks to a bank. <laughs> he leans on Michael Lerner, who let's let's admit in the '90s was our sweatiest performer. <laughs> he was. <laughs> Michael Lerner does not fuck around with sweating. <laughs> and Michael Lerner, I guess, testified against him, and so he's like, "Listen up, Bucko, you're gonna clean this money for me. You're gonna launder it tomorrow. I'm sending in a guy called Juice with a check. He's gonna pick up the million dollars." Now, why Miguel Ferrer can't just pick up the million dollars, considering he brought them in, yeah. doesn't make any fucking sense at all. Yeah. Um, but whatever. Michael Lerner's like, okay, then the then Miguel Ferrer backs over this kid's bike with his hot jag. Well, after something very important happened. What? If he gets a blank check for his birthday. Because yeah, his grandmother is senile and right. she forgot to They've fill set up that the kid would know like the power of a blank check, I guess. So he goes, how much did your grandma give you last year? $1,000. <laughs> More like 10 What about inflation? 11 huh. <laughs> Goes to the bank. Who's there? Karen Duffy. Right? Firebrand. MTV VJ. And um, he goes, I'd like to open an account. And she's... Right from the get-go, weirdly flirty with him. She is hitting on him okay. hard. We're gonna get to that. That's, no, that, that's, that happens before. It's important. I know, to set but this that's up. not plot-centric, and I just that deserves its own podcast, its own FBI investigation. <laughs> We're gonna get to the weirdness of that. This is plot-centric. God damn it! Because she says this is enough money April. to start an account. Come back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And he, he that's he now happening has at the same time brain. that Miguel Ferrer. I'm is get, at the bank. I'm so getting, they're both at the bank at the same time for that reason. Yeah, but I'm getting mad at you because it doesn't make any fucking sense what he does. Anyway, this is the problem. He gets the blank check from Miguel Ferrer because 
you know, that. They're both walking they, on the they bank. They run over and Miguel his Ferrer he runs over his, over his bike. And this kid, who I like, the little redheaded shithead. He's, he's a real shithead, that kid. I think it's a good shithead. He's negotiating, going like, I saw it. I'm a witness. You smell like vodka. And Miguel Ferrer's like, don't fuck with me, kid. Miguel Ferrer is going 100% in this movie. Like, he's not concerned with toning it down because he's in a children's film. He's giving, like, the exact same performance That's he true. would give in a Paul Verhoeven movie. That is very true. Yes. Um, and this movie looks like to live and die in L.A. Well, this it does. And also, yeah, that's the thing. This is a movie uh, with a lot of threat, but we'll get to that. Yeah. So now the cops are coming. The heat's on him. He doesn't get time to fill out the check. He just gives him the check. Yeah, we all we all get that there's a blank check, right? Then here's where, I, here's where the movie loses me. He, you know, he's got this blank check. He's like, oh, blank check. All right, blank check. He knows enough to know how to forge a blank check sure. on his computer to know. Which is really tough in terms of formatting. I it doesn't even explain that because holy shit. But like that printer is used to having a full like like fucking 8 by 11, right? Like uh, a, like yeah, I know. a Look, I Again, I'm with you. I, I, It'd be very hard to format so only. Today I would struggle with this. Yes. He, instead of putting $200, his first idea, which is how much he needs for the account. Delete, 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 delete. Then delete. he's like, why not $1,000? Because that's what the little smarmy kid is. Yes. Yeah. Wait. Delete, 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 Then delete. he decides to put in a million dollars. Yeah. Why would he do that? He's 12. He's not four. He's not yeah. an idiot. Right. Like, he would be smart enough to, I think, know this guy probably doesn't have a million dollars to give to me. Well, you've already answered your own question, uh-huh. which is he's an idiot. He is an idiot. So he goes to the <laughs> bank and, hey, guess what? The guy does have a million dollars to give to him. He goes in, he's led into the back office. Michael Lerner says, Because well, they think he's a fucking prankster. So the old lady's know, like, let me drag you by I here. know. I'm, I'm trying to get through this. Jesus, you're doing every beat. I want to stretch it out, this movie. <sighs> Michael Devil's Lerner details, says, baby. Juice, you know, because that is supposedly the name of the guy picking up this money is Juice. And he says, No thanks, I'm not thirsty. Funny. Michael Lerner laughs. 100 comedy <laughs> points. Michael Lerner decides... I know what this is. This is just Miguel Ferrer being smart, sending yeah. in a kid. No one would ever suspect a kid. Brilliant. With, uh, I wouldn't even think of this. No one would ever suspect a, suspect a kid with a backpack full of a hundred fucking million bills. What the hell? Of course they suspect the kid. I assume you want large bills. Uh, no, no, small regular size is regular fine. size. Funny, funny. And Michael Lerner's like, how many comedy points do you want? And he's like, I don't know, one million. <laughs> so this kid, through a bizarre set of circumstances. Gets one million dollars in cash in a backup pack. In a backup pack, it's a backpack overflowing with bills. Here's the rest of the movie. He spends money. He spends a million dollars in five days. The end. Can I give this movie another fan praise award? Okay. This isn't actually an award for the movie, but uh, I, not having seen it since I was a child, like half remembered, was like, yeah, they give him a million dollars, which is like not even enough to afford all the shit he does. Uh huh. I had forgotten the movie only happens over the course of five days. Like, I remembered it being like, and then for seven months, he spends a million dollars. Like, this movie does actually acknowledge, like, that would run out pretty quickly. Um, well, that's one thing I hate about this movie. <laughs> because I think the main message of this movie is, huh, a million dollars can't get you anything these days. Okay. Thank you, Disney, for making a whole movie about how you could quickly spend a million dollars because shit's more expensive. Like, they keep making jokes to Ferrer where it's like, Ferrer's like, 
how the fuck did you spend a million dollars? And they're just like, you can me like you can nothing. You can get nothing with a million dollars. Yeah, these I mean, days. look, you could spend sixteen million dollars in four months and only produce a movie called Blank Check. <laughs> Is that how much it costs? I'm guessing. Right, I was gonna say twenty, but I feel like I'm overshooting. You got no real names in this. Michael Lerner probably had the highest quote at the time. Possible he, he was, was an Oscar nominee. Well, right. a few years back, but yeah, you know, Barton Fink's ninety one. Yeah, um, love Barton Fink. Uh. Oh, I forgot. Tone Loke was pay or play in those days, so he probably. <laughs> Tone Loke comes in. He's juice. He's the real juice. Yeah. Now, we're gonna talk about him because Tone Loke's the one guy who I think is really on the level in this movie. He's it, great. Tone Loke is is singing a sweet Handed song. Handed a role that is maybe like one inch off of the absolute racism displayed in Disney's Song of the South. Agreed. Where they're like. Yeah, 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 sure, whatever. It's only been 50 years, but uh, who should play, like, a shady gangster who threatens children with no humanizing elements? I don't know. Get a rapper, right? Like, get <sighs> get Tone Loke. But there are two other weird elements to him, okay? Sure. So, like, in terms and of- And obviously, I, the director had worked with Tone Loke, so maybe that's why Tone Loke's in this movie. It's right. just like- Tone he, Loke also was hot at that point. I mean, he'd done Ace well, Ventura. Ace Ventura- Ace Ventura comes out the same time, like literally the same time as this movie. So this was the year in Hollywood which was Tone trying Loke to make plays a fucking cop who is totally above the line yeah. and like good at his job. Yeah, and is also very funny. Yeah. In this movie, Tone Loke is handed like the shadiest, shittiest character I've ever seen. He fucking spins it into gold. He's yeah. so funny in this movie. I don't know why he didn't have more of an acting career. Why didn't he? If you look at those two films, you go like, he played very different He's roles in terms of status. He's kind of like a Benicio Del Toro in like, you know, early, in like the 90s He's vibe. Like weird, like mumbly. It feels like he's improving a lot of lunches. That scene where he's like, I had a dog once called Nat King Cole. Or is that what he called? Is that what the dog was called? I don't oh. remember. Yeah. And he's like, oh, he was a great dog. And you're just like, what the fuck's that line doing in there? That's a weird line. Like it's in the middle of a chase scene. Yeah. And it's just like Tone Loke, obviously. Obviously, just ad libbing some great stuff. <laughs> like he he is threatening. Yes. You know what I mean? Like you are afraid of him because right. there's that first scene where he bumps into um right. Parker. Yeah. Is that his name? Preston. Preston. And he's kind of like, hey, what are you doing? Like bumping into me. Like, you know, he could get hurt doing that. Yeah. And you're like, oh, well, you know, this guy's weird, right? But he's also really charming and kind of like low-key funny and just I don't know. Well, look at two counterpoints here, right? Like two opposite ends of the spectrum with this character. One is that when he's introduced, it's him going to the bank to pick up the check at the agreed upon time, right? Uh-huh. Okay, screenwriting. Oh, save the cat. How do, how does it function? Tone Loke doesn't get there in time to stop Preston from getting the money because ugh, he can't stop leering at women, right? You're like, oh, fuck. Is that the the function of this character? Yeah. That he's not there at the agreed upon time because he can't stop making passes and looking at butts and all uh-huh. that. And you're like, ugh, it's a good point. Right? Yeah. So now you're like, okay, it's a rapper playing like the heavy, the enforcer, sure, a goon. Who's not yes. afraid to like threaten a child. And right. Can't... Although, to be fair, neither is Miguel Ferrer, sure. who dangles a child off of a skyscraper. Well, we'll get to that. <laughs> what a weird movie. But I also, think this movie was rated G. Yes. <laughs> Might General have been audiences. PG. Uh, but then also he uh, can't stop leering at women, right? Why am I getting more phone Who's calls today than any time in history? Who's talking funny? I, everybody. Everybody. What if it turns out when I when we end this episode that uh, I missed like seven phone calls trying to hire me to be in a Star Wars movie? Uh, yeah, that'd be great. I've never gotten this many phone calls in a limited period of time. Is it the same person? No, it's different people and they're all uh, people in the industry. <laughs> 
So I may, I might be missing something bigger. Uh huh. Um, Should we pause and you could take a call? No, absolutely not. It, ben, if there's one thing this podcast is about and has been about since the very beginning through all our iterations, it's about me sabotaging my own career. True. And I'm not going to fucking ruin our brand okay. this late in the game. It's our 100th episode. So. Oh, this is what I want to say about the Tunlo character. Yeah. He's set up in that way, right? With the, with the fucking leering. They hit him like hitting on women three times in his first minute on screen. And you're like, oh, fuck. And then his character becomes this one guy who's so charmed by what this kid is doing as they have to go and search for this kid. That's what's good about it. There's two things that are good about it. That's one of the two things that are good, is good about his yeah. performance. I mean, the, apart from the stuff we already said. Right. Yeah. He immediately is like, this kid is really good at fucking you over, which is funny to me. Right. Yeah. Two, he keeps being asked to do annoying things like chase that kid through there, you know, through the fountain or like run after this kid, like through the woods. They have to go to kids' woods. places, kids' activities, things like and that. And he's being like, I don't want to do that. And they're like, fine, like, I'll pay you more money. And as he's chasing him, he's like, God, this isn't worth any money. Like, oh, I can't do Tone Look because he's, yeah. like I said, he's money. Del Toro-esque in his, like, mumbly kind of It's genius. easy. Just do a sea bear impression. And then yeah. you've got Tone Look. Um, but I also like that he, like, likes all the stuff the kid's buying. Like, he thinks it's, like, cool, you know? And he does a really good job somehow magically miraculously like pulling the nose diving plane up and keeping it at like a reasonable altitude mm-hmm. from being like an offensive simpleton character yep or just like a, i don't know yeah he's good he's good he's, he's fun he great. should have a he should have had a better career yeah. i have no idea maybe tone look was tough to work with i have no i have no call on why tone look didn't like yeah. like last maybe he was immensely difficult um okay so now the movie he's, is he's what? in Ace Ventura Junior Pet Detective. No, he's not. His song is. Oh, weird. Funky Cold Medina? Uh, Ace is in the house, which uh, he recorded for the first mic right. check, so I guess you're just going to use it again. Yeah, Ace Ventura Junior. Not a good song. Uh, I have not seen it, Ricky actually. Blit? Is that his name, Ricky Blitz? I don't know. He was the baby in Bebe's Kids, or Bebe's World. Oh, he was the baby in Bebe's World. Yeah. No Bebe's Kids? I think about. it was called Bebe's Kids, right? I can't remember, yeah. So... He has the million dollars. Remember when that baby pulled the plug on Las Vegas, Ben? Remember when they go to Las Vegas and there are all the lights and then the lights go out and they're like, what happened? And the baby's standing there like- I don't know what you're talking about. Like spinning around an electrical cord. Do you remember that? I do. It's a good movie. You know what's good about that bit? What? All the power went out. Yeah, that's what's funny about it. And you know what else is good about that bit? What? He's a baby. I know. So it's like, aw. How the, what, big, big things come in small packages sometimes, you know? I don't like that. I know. Well, okay. I'm sorry. Okay. I have no idea what you were talking about. So he uses Mr. Macintosh. He invents the character. This is a Preston. Well, he. Of Mr. Macintosh. Goes home and immediately decides to buy property. To buy a castle. So he goes onto a website that's called, like, Real Estate for the 90s. <laughs> it literally says on the screen, Real Estate for the 90s. Hey, man. And you can Only do, 90s kids. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can do digital bidding, and he happens to. Happens to. Yeah, it's a lot be of bidding on the same house he... that Miguel Ferrer. Why does M- Miguel Ferrer want this house? Why doesn't he just want to go to like Sweden or something? Like, why the fuck does he want to stay in like town? Yo, so what fucking castle is on the market for like a hundred thousand dollars? Okay, that's the thing. That's the this thing. is a castle. It's literally a castle. It is huge. Ferrer has like some deal worked out where he's going to get it for a hundred grand or something. They're really close to closing the deal with him. That's nuts. Yes, 
I don't care if it's 94. I don't care what real estate was in Texas in 1994. That's crazy. You can't get a one bedroom bedroom one bedroom. You can't get a one bedroom bedroom apartment in New York City for less than like three Six, quarters of a million dollars. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I know inflation. I know New York's crazy, no, but there's but no it, way you can buy that castle just, for hundred thousand dollars. It's a castle. It's a it's a literal castle. So he outbids. I'm not him, talking gets, about Nathan Fillion. Gets the castle for three hundred thousand. David, I'm not talking about Nathan Fillion. Are you talking about his daughter, played by Danielle Panabaker? Yes, great. Or one of the Panabakers. She's also a castle. Maybe Kay Panabaker. One of the one of the one of them Panabakers. Of the Minnesota Panabakers. Correct. Um. Buys a castle, so that's so that's that's a chunk of his million bucks. I guess he buys it straight cash. Yeah, he spends three hundred thousand dollars, so he's spent pretty much a third of that's his. A lot of the money. Yeah. Then he hires a limo driver. Also, no one has ever closed a um a, a property deal that fast. No one has yeah. ever bought something and had people move in, especially something that's that true. Expensive. It happens in a day. A day. He buys it like 5 p.m., and then the next morning the dad wakes up. James Reverend wakes up to fucking... His shit's being moved out, and the kids bought a lot of stuff. He's hired a limo driver named Henry, played by, what's his name, Rick Ducumman? Ducumman, I don't know how to pronounce it, but he's a great character. Groundhog Day in the Burbs. Mm -hmm. And he's says to his dad, oh, I got a job. He was a great character. He fell prey to the blank check card. Diabetes, I believe, is what what claimed his life. Diabetes? Diabetes, yes. Um, he tells his dad, oh, I got a job with Mr. McIntosh, this new big, like, hot rod in town. And his dad is like, instead of being like, but you're a minor, that makes no sense. Or who is Mr. McIntosh? Or what are you talking about? Also, when did this transpire? Where did Can you get I meet this, him? Where did you get this three-piece suit? Why are you wearing purple sunglasses and a headpiece? What the fuck is going on? He's got one of those, like, event coordinator microphones yeah. on. He's like, okay, folks. And his dad, instead of all that, is like, oh, oh yeah, sure. Uh, and... And so the kid kind of moves out, but without totally telling his parents that he's moved out. Did you out? say that he came up with the name Macintosh because of the computer? Yeah. It's clever. <laughs> Is it? A little bit. Well, Ben, you want to talk about this Macintosh? Um, yeah. <laughs> I had the same exact Apple computer because I, I was an Apple kid. Is it a, it's a, it's a Macintosh, well, right? Only it's Apple a, kids will remember what, this, what, yeah. what, what brand of Macintosh? What, what edition? Uh, I don't remember specifically. I'm gonna look it up. I mean, um, it's early. It's an early '90s. It's a Mac really Intosh. early. Uh, yeah, early '90s Mac. Yeah, it's just it was so nice to 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 see even all the gear, the speakers, the stylus. Is it a Macintosh two? Yeah, came out well, in '90. I guess that was a two. Then no, mine was maybe a little more advanced. I had a Power PC, but anyway, sure, sure. Love Apple. You had zero. Yeah, you're games. Right. No, it is a Power PC. You had you're zero right. games you could play on it. Basically, it was just like like fucking. What about like, Sim Tower? It, I had Sim Tower, yeah. and I had Steven Spielberg's fucking director's exactly. chair. Exactly, that's it. We've talked about Sim Tower. That we was have. a great Mac game. Oh man, Sim Tower was one of the best. Here's what I would prefer: if this movie was just he gets a new Macintosh and he just plays Sim Tower for Hell ninety yeah. minutes. I mean, you're just watching over his shoulder. Yeah, that'd be great. I would love that movie. It you're would like, get build a gym there. No, and now there, <laughs> and he just puts his money in the bank and earns interest. Yeah. Instead, uh, he buys a friend who's Rick DeCommon, who's his uh, limo driver. And even then, it initially not really his friend, but eventually he realizes he at least wants that guy around. I think he's also good in this movie. It's He's okay. It's a weird character. It's a weird character. I think as written, the character's very annoying. He's okay. He's okay. But it I could think, be worse. I think he's got a genuine heart. <laughs> That's my praise for him. Could sure. be worse. I think there's a genuine warmth for him, from so him. He, yeah. he gets the limo driver. Yeah, there's a little warmth. Oh, yeah. And he's got a crush. On Karen Duffy's. He character, can't get over this bank teller played character. Played by Shane. Now, 
to his credit, she's beautiful. Karen Duffy, real cute. And she was she was popping. She had the heat at that moment. Yeah, you know? she's second build over yeah. Miguel. Yeah. This was, when was this in relation to Dumb and Dumber? Because that was her other big. Well, Dumb and Dumber's 96. Uh, no, what am I talking about? It's 94 as well. So same year. This was her year where they were like, she was like. God, the, Dumb and Dumber's 94. She was the Colleen Haskell Carrie of her time. just like pumped out three movies in one year. Yeah. You're looking at the wall. Uh, I was yes, tapping. that was the big deal was that. Like, he got paid, I think, $500,000 for Ace Ventura, which came out in January, yeah. right before Dumb and Dumber started filming. And by the time Dumb and Dumber started filming, knowing they had the mask in the can, I think he got, like, $8 million for Dumb and Dumber. Ace Ventura, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber, all in one year. All three inspired animated series, too. And then in 95, Batman Forever and Ace Ventura 2. That's how fast they made Ace Ventura 2. Yeah. And then 96, The Cable Guy, which is, like... $20 million a picture and his perceived, like, you know, kind of valley, right? Yeah. Like, that's how fast that happened yeah, it's with insane. Jim Carrey. Yeah. Anyway, this is not a Jim Carrey episode. No. Um, But he, from the first time he goes in the bank and he can't open the account and she's really flirting with him. He's yeah, got, she thinks he's cute because he's trying to deposit an $11 check right. into a new bank account. Right. And she's like, well, you need $200. Yeah. She's cute. She's flirting with him. A lot. He drives by in a limo while okay. she's running. That's what I want to get to. So that's yeah. the second time he sees her. Correct. Is. She's listening. I believe she's listening to a Walkman, possibly. I can't yes. remember. Yeah. Right. And he's in the back of this limo eating the ice cream. He's out gone of like a garbage cake. <laughs> yeah. Eating ice cream out of like, I guess it's like it an ice garbage. cream store container. It's like, <laughs> it's like a, a vat. Sure. Why would you ever want a container of that much ice cream? You're one person. Yeah. Just get several small containers. I mean, you're, you're actually just being wasteful at that point. There's <laughs> no way that you can eat it before it melts. And it's like covered with everything. It looks like vomit because it's like <laughs> so 17 flavors together with whipped cream, with cherries, with uh, syrup. And I guess this is what I'm getting at, which is like, of course, the movie is saying to us kids, like, this is what you want. Right. You want the most of everything. You want items that you'll never use. You just want like stuff, stuff, right? Is this what you want, you fuckers? You want this? And it is now, it is so gross and crazy to watch it. And yeah. I don't mean to sound like some nervous Nelly. It's just like. You're like, this is so fucking empty and lame. And like, yeah. he has like gadgets that you don't even remember, VR like that VR system, thing. Right. One of those TVs that's just like 12 TVs in a yeah. grid. Oh, yeah. hey, hey, hey. That's fucking cool. <laughs> that is, is pretty cool. cool. Yeah. Uh, he's, got, he's got a batting cage. He's got a batting cage. He's got a he's Velcro got, wall. Sure, he's got uh, the Velcro wall is the one I remember thinking was the coolest. Yeah, it's cool. He's got boxing gloves that go up to his armpits. Water slide. He's got a water slide. He does have a water slide. A water slide. Yeah. Uh, love you, Ben. <laughs> love you, Ben. <laughs> Philly Ben. <laughs> Philly cheesesteak Ben. It's just how I say it. I, can't I know. Help. I know. I always. I, know. Great. I always feel like Ben's from Philly, even though he is. He's not. But you know, he's he's got he's got a little Philly in him. He's a Jersey boy. I but, know he's but, a Jersey. Yeah. I mean, Philly and Jersey kissing cousins. Um. Okay, so uh, so he gets a lot of stuff, but yeah, he's but talking to he's talking to Shay when when he's on the ride home yeah. after the initial shopping spree. Yeah, and what's the fucking chauffeur's character's name? Oh, uh, the chauffeur is called Jesus Henry. Henry, uh, and Henry's like, so uh, explain to me why you, he gives you all this money, right? Because he still thinks Mr. McIntosh exists, right? And that this kid is like Mr. McIntosh's personal assistant, and he's like, Mr. McIntosh, you know, he's very successful, but he never really had a childhood. So he gives me money to act out the childhood that he never got to have. Uh-huh. Henry's just like, yeah, it makes sense, sure. Anyway, right. who's signing my paychecks? Oh, right. it's just cash? Nothing weird about right. this. And then he sees Karen Duffy, and he's like, wait, slow down, slow down. Kid pops out of the moonroof, right? 
I, I would call it a sunroof, personally, but sure. Well, it's the night. It's true. <laughs> true. You got me In there. the moonlight, it okay, is wh- a wh- moonroof. What's your point? Uh... And he starts, like, talking to her, being like, hey, remember me? Remember when we said I didn't have enough money? Look at me now. I got a garbage can full of ice cream. I'm in a limo. And Henry, rather than being like, wait, what the fuck is going on here, is like, oh, man, kid, she's a looker. Yeah, you want to fuck that lady? Like he's Who's twice your age? He starts rooting him on. Not only that, then they, like, make a date. Yes. Which I guess is nominally supposed to be like discussing Mr. McIntosh's business interests. We forgot to mention that she is an undercover FBI well, of agent. Of course, then it's, yeah, we, we quickly realized she's an undercover <laughs> FBI agent who is on Michael Lerner's case <laughs> waiting for Ferrer to show back up. Of course. Yes. And so she knows that they were looking, they were looking for him to buy the castle. Because uh, there's a scene where yeah. they're in the van and they're like, wait, someone outbid him on the castle. Right, so now they're like, who's this Mr. McIntosh? And then she's like, who do you work for? Where, where do you get all this money? He goes, I'm working for a new guy, Mr. McIntosh. She goes, oh, I've been hearing a lot about this Mr. McIntosh. So she says, well, I want to meet him. He's like, okay, well, let's talk about it. And she says, it's a date. And he's like, he sort of sits back down. Well, you know, he's like, a date? I've yeah. never been on a date. Right. How do I go on a date, limo driver? And limo driver's like, look, if you want to fuck a lady, yeah. <laughs> like, basically, take her to a salad bar right. is his first suggestion, which, uh, by the way, what? The limo driver's like, look, here's what you do. You put her feet <laughs> behind your head, okay? <laughs> it's I a 40-degree angle. Like, I think the, the movie's joke is, of course, that like the limo driver doesn't know what he's talking about either because he's obviously like a dumb like nobody who doesn't have any luck with the ladies. Yeah, but he's also treating this like it's Right, that it's totally normal that they would go on a date. Hypernormalization. That's what it is. It's hypernormalization. I, I was giving you a sort of like a... Yeah. A, a, a one presto. of these. Yeah. He was giving me a yeah. one of these. Yep. Um, I feel like a, a smart way to make this movie would be that she's clearly just a professional, right? Sure. Uh, she's just trying to do her job. This kid's a lead to Macintosh. Right, so she's just working the kid. She's she gets suspicious. The kid has a crush on her and just, yeah. Right. She's suspicious. She's trying to figure it out. She does. She immediately goes, why would this guy hire a kid to buy toys, right? And that it never is set up as a romantic thing. He thinks, he keeps on misinterpreting it as a romantic thing. Sure. But instead, they have her play every single scene like she's considering fucking him. Every single scene is her being like, Oh, I could fuck him. The end of the movie, they they kiss. Which she kisses sucks. Him. Yeah. Well, this sucks. movie sucks. I physically <laughs> shudder. Because it's like she's not kissing him right on the lips. It's just above, but it's still so gross. It's on the mouth, I would say. If not it, directly on the yeah. lips, it's on the mouth. But yeah. I feel like there was a negotiation there. Like, what if we don't do it right on the mouth? It's yeah, sort of just Bonsell's weird. Yeah, Brian parents, whoever they were, were just like, yeah, sure. They were like signing release forms. But there's like, Ruin his life. What do I care? There's the moment where they look at each other for a while and slowly lean in. And you're Ugh. just like, don't, what the fuck? Unless she's about to like it's a wipe a smudge movie. of chocolate off his face. It's don't do that. It's a shit movie. Yeah. And then there's just a lot of, I mean, I guess he buys more stuff, but there's just a lot of Miguel Ferrer trying to find this kid, which is weird because it's like, he bought the castle. Go to the castle. What are you, an idiot? Sure. I mean, I think he knows Mr. McIntosh, quote unquote, bought, but like, put two and two together, you dumb motherfucker. Just go to the castle. Right. But this reaches the apex when they find the little shitty redhead kid. <laughs> yeah. Tangle him off the roof yeah. asking for Preston's address. Now, a lot of this, because it's like, Bill Pope did his job well in this movie, and it looks not like a Disney family comedy, Big right? Poop. Yeah. 
there's this weird sort of reverse Beverly Hills Cop effect in this movie. Uh-huh. Where, like, Beverly Hills Cop, like, looks and functions as, like, a traditional 80s cop movie. Sure. It is shot like any other cop yes. movie, yes. but you have Eddie Murphy in the middle of it, right. which is why Beverly Hills Cop is funny. Yeah. Only one person is playing a comedy in that movie. Right. Right? Uh, and then Bronson Pinchot as well for that one scene, but that's a whole weird backstory that we'll get to when we do our Martin Brass miniseries 17 years from now. Um, this movie is like the reverse of that where it's like, here's a wacky Disney family comedy, and Miguel Ferrer is coming in as if he's like straight off the set sure. of like fucking like, like Red Rock West or something. Right. You know? Uh-huh. Which is really funny to watch as an adult, but I don't know if you have this thing where like you'll like – Think of half-remembered movies from your childhood and be like, I remember that being really upsetting right. or really scary or really emotional. Yeah. And then you watch yeah, it today and you're like, time. this is dumb. This is stupid. This has no effect. I just was You're a saying child. when that kid's getting dangled, you are like, what? Right. Like, I remember Miguel Fer- Ferrer being scary in this movie. I always fuck his name up. He is scary. It's Ferrer. And then you watch Miguel it. Ferrer. You watch yeah. it today and you're like, no, still scary. I yeah. wasn't just a child. Miguel Ferrer also, he's in so many movies. He's and we, we just lost him. Obviously, he was in Twin Peaks, and like he's he's a brilliant Robocop, guy, bro. Robocops, you know. But I also just like apart from all his good shit, he was also just in a lot of shit, yeah. and often as a scary guy who yells at you. And so, in my childhood, he's just sort of burned in my memory for that reason. But maybe it's just because he dangled a kid off the roof and blank sure. check. Yeah, plays the president in Iron Man three, and it's like he's yep. introduced. Like, no, vice president, vice president. Oh, you're right. Yeah. yeah, he's the vice president right. who's conspiring yes, thank to destroy the president. Um, but he is only introduced like an hour and a half into the movie, where it's like he's at a birthday party and they go like, "Sir, phone call for you," and he goes, "Take the shot," or like whatever he says. It's like, yeah, Miguel Ferrer is like who you bring in if that's what you want to do. Pretty like, much his last big, his last big movie. Yeah, and then he was on NCIS, one of the NCISs. Well, he was on Crossing Jordan. Yeah. Uh, for but many I'm saying years. he was on one of the NCISs he was on at the NCIS time. NCIS LA. Yes. Okay. Uh, so then the movie, yeah, kid spends money. Goes on this weird date with Karen Duffy where they go to a fancy restaurant. I don't, I don't care. He's got sunglasses. He gets like crayfish or something. Yeah, he hates it. Mm. And then he's like, how do you feel about burgers? And there's a moment where she goes like, I love, I love hamburgers. But like in a, in a gauzy like he's close saving up. the date. Right. Right. And she's like, oh, I might still fuck him. And she goes like, so what's so special about this place? And he's like, I can't tell you yet. And she's like, what? And he's like, okay, fine, let me show you. And then he places her in the middle of this thing. And he's like, five, four, three, two, one water fountains, and right. that's like the slow motion montage of the two of them dancing in the water. This is all in the movie. Then the fucking the bad guys come. Oh, they get fooled by the water. They trip, so they're yeah I, able again. to make an escape. But then there's this weird section where it's like they're in the back of a limo, like soaking wet, mm-hmm. and everything in this scene is coded as like they're about to fuck. And let's not forget that then his older brothers again, rather than being like. Hey, what's up with this thing where you have a job? Who is Mr. McIntosh? Where are you all the time? Yeah. Uh, like, why is this woman interested in you? They're just like, oh, yeah, that girl's just after your money. Right. They're like, she's, she's a, gold, a digger. gold digger. I mean, and they are also like, and after Mr. McIntosh's money. <sighs> but they're not like, wait, you're going on dates with a 28 year old? Yeah. The, the, when he goes on a, yeah, it's, it's so weird. It'd be one thing if there was like a 14 year old girl who, and they were like, she's a gold digger. Sure. But this whole movie sets it up. I mean, I remember watching this and being like, that was the, like the element, like that, that seems so fantastical was like, oh man, you're a little kid, but you get to uh, go on dates with an adult woman. Like that seemed cool to me when I was like seven. Well, in like big, it's good. Yeah. But that's, anyway, look, 
let's get to the final set piece in which Debbie Allen of yes. fame right. plays like a party planner. He has to throw a an party. An obnoxious party planner. He has to throw a party because everyone's like, what's up with Mr. McIntosh? Now, here's what annoys me. I'm like, you got the money. Why don't you hire someone to play Mr. McIntosh? Yeah. Like, that sounds like a good third act thing that could get out of hand. Guess what? It also costs a lot less. Like, I know fucking, like, sag after minimum, what you know? What the hell? You pay some guy's scale to go on the news and be like, I'm Mr. McIntosh. Right. Instead, he spends $100,000 on a party that Mr. McIntosh isn't going to be at. He's not solving anything. Yeah, he doesn't. Well, he's an idiot. Yeah, he's dumb. And then in this party, we are given an quote-unquote emotional payoff scene. Like, that is obviously, like you say, like some save the cat bullshit. With the dad? Where he's sitting, like, with his chair, like, to the back of his father. It's a big chair so you can't see him. And so his father comes in, addresses him as if he is Mr. McIntosh, and is like, Mr. McIntosh... By the way, I love all the business you're doing for our town in the last few days, blah, 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 blah. But I'm just going to keep on saying other things, I think, without waiting for you to respond yeah. and questioning the fact that you're not responding at all. Right. There'll be no conversation between us, I assume. But I was just going to ask you, he's addressing him like he's a mobster. Like, if if my son could just come home early tonight. I miss my son. It's his the birthday. The son's already gone down. It's his birthday. Yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, like, if you could just come home, because I really do like him, and I feel like I'm a shitty dad, and I wish, Oh, like, the speech goes on so much longer it, than so that. because fucking long! Because the other point he brings in is he goes, like, you know, I just get worried sometimes. I appreciate everything you're doing for the family, but I get worried that sometimes he's missing out and having a childhood. And, you know, I just, I, I'm hard on pressing because I see myself in him, you know, but it's it's because I was the same way. I guess I missed my childhood, too. I was so busy work. That's my fault. Oh, okay. On and well, on and on. Well, good talk. Nice speaking to you. Great meeting you. Not going to ask to see your face. Not even going to wait to hear And then any- he leaves and the kid's like, Dad, I miss you, too, or whatever. But he's already gone because this movie yeah. is not interested in having this kid face any consequences. Nope. Which is the most d- egregious thing about it, yeah. after all the egregiousness. Yeah. At the end of the movie- the FBI bursts in. They're like, who's Mr. McIntosh? And Miguel Ferrer is like, well, I am. Because. Because he thinks, well, then I'll get the house at least. Michael Lerner's thing, once the money is, it's clear. It's like, fuck, the kid's been spending it. He's like, he's created a great alias for you, Mr. McIntosh. Sure, right. Now you, you have a new identity. Step into Mr. You can McIntosh. adopt this. This guy could run for mayor. They love him in this town. Right. So now when the FBI is When the FBI happens, comes, he's like, well, I'm Mr. McIntosh. And I'm like, great, you're under arrest for massive fraud. Like, right. you weirdo. Because there's even a point in the movie where it's like Debbie Allen's threatening to sue because he yeah, can't pay he, the bill. Yeah, because he can't pay the bills because he's spent grossly. $33 left in his bank he's account. Th- yes. Um, and so everything just gets solved. It's like, well, Miguel Ferrer is going to get stuck with right. the bill. He gets stuck with the bill. So I guess he's sort of like, and it was his money. So I guess the movie's just kind of like, well, you know, he didn't deserve it anyway. So right. who cares that it all got spent on nothing? Yeah. And uh, then he'll just go to jail, which is where he belongs. Right. No one's ever going to ask this kid anything about this weird week. Karen Duffy kisses him. Yes, as we mentioned. So he gets one of two things he wanted most. And then, well, no, and then he gets his room. And then he gets the second. Yeah, he goes back home and they're like, we love you, really. And he's like, I love you guys, too. And you're just like, me now. I'm like, he does? Like, what? There's no, the payoff is like the most unearned thing in the world. I want candy. <laughs> There's a song at the end, though. I couldn't uh, couldn't place it. Yeah, I can't remember that either. Uh, what do you think of the song? Great. There is that weird thing where, like, there's a montage of him buying shit and doing shit set to I Want Candy. There's 14 montages, by the way. But this is the, the specific way. moment yes. I want to talk about. There's a montage of him buying shit, doing shit to I Want Candy, right? And it just, like, cuts out at a certain point and then goes to a scene with, like, Lerner and Loke and Miguel, uh-huh. right? Right talking and then when it cuts back to him 
they just like cut back in media res to the last montage, picking up I Want Candy again. I, I want candy. Deleting my emails. Um, so the movie's called Blank Check. Uh, it's creepy. We named our podcast after it. Yep, definitely. If people ask us in the future, oh, is your podcast about Blank Check? We can now say it was for one episode. Yep. Uh, we did cover Blank Check. We did that. Uh, we got to play the box office game. Happy hundo, everybody. Let's play a box office game. <laughs> it's our 100th episode. I know. Crazy. Oh, can I do a merchandise spotlight? Okay. Uh, if you go to uh, any bank, you can open up a checking account. Often you need a minimum amount of money. Right. But uh, yes. Yes. And sometimes you're going to need proof of identification. Right. You're going to have to pass the Karen Duffy test. But once you do that, uh, you get, I swear to God, I've done this. David, I think you've done this. I have. I don't want to speak for you. You get a checkbook full of blank checks. Uh, correct. This is the most widely available merchandise we've ever covered from a movie. Yeah, so, you can get a check. Blank check. A book of blank checks. Number one at the box office. Was blank check. February 11th, 1994. Ooh, right before my birthday. Was not blank check. Okay. Uh, blank check opens number three <laughs> with $5.4 million. It eventually grosses $30 million. This is another type of movie they don't make that much anymore, which is a movie that is just for kids. Uh, yes. No four-quadrant appeal. It no, is. I, but I, we, I should say, I remember when I was in the, I was a little kid myself. Yeah. I was eight years old, or I was seven, actually. Yeah. Uh, I saw a trailer for Blank Check in front of some other movie, I'm sure. Yeah. And obviously, they would show movies for trailers for kids' movies yeah. in front of kids' movies. Yeah. And I was just like, you know, my reaction was that of a lot of kids of the year, which is like, I am seeing that. Yeah. That is the movie for me. Yeah. I've always wanted a Blank Check for a million dollars. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. Went to go see it, uh-huh. sold out <laughs> at the 84th Street Lowe's. Okay. It was sold out opening weekend. Well, so instead, so my dad, it was like me, my dad, and like you know, Joey, my elementary Joey no, no, Joey was too little. Uh, he was born, but he was he was okay. small. He was five, uh, which is how old you were. You're, you and Joey about the same age. Um, my dad was like, "Well, uh, why don't we see quote the movie that was number one at the box office that weekend." Which was in its second week of release. Interesting. So it was also a family film? Uh, no. It's a comedy. We've discussed it on this very episode. We've discussed it on this very episode? Yes. Richie Rich? Nope. Does it feature one of the actors from Blank Check? Yes. It does. Ace Ventura? Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Uh, which in its second week has grossed $25 million. Wow. So Wow. I, yeah. Huge hit. Yeah. Made about seventy five. Um, and that's in 94. And I remember I had seen the trailer for Ace Ventura. Yeah. And I was not sure how I was going to feel about it because it had a shark in it. Sure. Because the shark bit was like a bit in the, you know, trailer. Mm -hmm. And I was like, hmm, the sharks are scary. scary. I don't know if I can deal with this movie, but like it was one of, you know, it was the old days. It was just, we were in the lobby. It was like, all right, well, we're seeing something. So this is what we're seeing. And like it was like a transformatively funny experience for me. I like lost my goddamn mind. Similar for me. My my big like comedy transformative thing was my father taking me to um, uh, International Man of Mystery, the prequel to Spy Who Shagged Me. Uh huh. When that came out, ninety seven. Yes. Yes. And my father had to drag me kicking and screaming to go see that movie. I didn't want to see it because it sounded scary because of the fact that he was frozen. That's what you found scary. Someone Terrifying. gets their head bitten off in that movie. I didn't know by that. a shark. I didn't know that. And by the time we got to that point, I was so fully on board with the movie. I found the concept of cryogenic uh, freezing. 
uh, terrifying. It is a little alarming. Uh, very. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It took me like 20, tw- first 20 minutes of the movie, I was white knuckling. Oh. I was like, when's he going to wake up again? What if it goes wrong? Uh, but anyway, and then I did eventually see Blank Check uh, later, like maybe okay. next week. So that's number three at the box office. Number one's Ventura. What's yeah. number two? Number two is not a movie I'm that familiar with. It is a Roger Donaldson picture hmm. starring two actors who then got married. Uh, it's an action thriller, rated R for sure. Demi Moore and Bruce Willis? No. The Getaway? The Getaway with... Alec Baldwin and Kim Basinger. The other 90s couple yeah, right. uh, of Marquis. See, Idols. I couldn't even think of what the Demi Moore-Bruce Willis movie was if they even did a movie together. I just knew it had did to be they? one of those couples. I don't think I don't they think did, they actually. Did. I don't think they did. Uh, of course it's The Getaway. The, of course it's The Getaway. The Getaway. Okay. Uh, which is a small hit, I guess. Not um, modest. Not, re- not really anything. Yeah. Okay, number four. Number four is a sequel to a kid's movie. Uh, it's it, and by the way, Getaway, Blank Check, and this movie are all uh, new to the box office. This, this one is is a holder. No, no, this is a new one. This is a new. It's Just a new like release. It's a the, sequel. The, the, the releases this week were The Getaway, Blank Check, and this. movie. So it's a sequel that's not doing well. Not doing well. I don't know why they opened the sequel to a kids movie uh, at the same time as Blank Check, same weekend. But presumably, the first one was big enough that they first thought, one was a big hit, and this one steep drop off. And let me. So this one's coming out. In uh, 1994, the first one came out in 1991. Okay. 102 Dalmatians. No, but good guess. Live action animated. Live action. Does it star a child? Is the child the main character? Yes. But by now, I think she's more coming into teenager territory. My Girl 2? My Girl 2, starring Anna Klumski, which I have not seen. I've seen My Girl, but not My Girl 2. It just uh, feels like uh, that story kind of finished itself, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> feels like they closed the loop in My Girl. Yeah, once Macaulay dies from that bee sting. Yeah. Spoiler alert for My Girl. Jesus Christ. Who's the cutie in My Girl 2, though? Because there's a cutie. Yeah, that's someone, uh, Eric Von Detten or something, I'm sure. Austin O'Brien? Okay, sure. Anyway, My Girl 2, not a huge hit. Yeah, some kid with and then after that, Klumski takes a break for a few, a few uh, for a yeah. decade plus. Klumski then- takes a break sounds like a good name for a children's book. So it does sound like a good name for a children's book. And I'm about happy. nap time. I just, I just want to shout out Anna Klumski, who now is fucking fantastic. She's a great actor. I mean, she's just come back and is great. She was one of my favorites at the time. Yeah, well, like, she was great. When we were kids in the 90s, and only 90s kids will remember this, but when we were kids in the 90s, and it was sort of like the heyday of the child actor, mm-hmm. that was like the golden age of the child actor. Mm-hmm. Um, she was one of the ones I was always most excited to see on screen. Absolutely. I'd be excited if I was seeing a Klumski picture. Number five yeah. at the box office okay. is the winner for Best Picture of the Oscars the previous year. I mean, it hasn't won it yet, but it's going to win Best Picture in a month. Right. So it was a 1993 release. Yes. Uh, it is in its ninth week of release. It it just jumped up a little bit, added some theaters, uh, made a little more money than last weekend. It went from six to five in the charts. It's a serious picture. Braveheart? No. That's 95. What did it end up at? 95, 96, somewhere around there. Ooh. It's not Unforgiven. That's earlier. That's 91. 91. Or maybe 92. 90, 92. 92. Uh, geez Louise. Uh, does it win other Oscars? Uh, yeah. Wins a lot of Oscars. What are you talking about? Sweeps. It's not Silence of the Lambs. No, it's 91. Right. Fuck, fuck, fuck. I'm remembering everything else. Wins a lot. Wins Best Director. It's not Forrest Gump. That comes out. The following year, uh, Forrest comes ninety four. Right, fuck. this year, fuck. 
It's funny that you're not remembering what this is. I'm remembering every other we Best Picture winner from I the mean, first half of the 90s. Yeah. I mean, I Have we like, discussed it a lot? No, we've discussed the filmmaker. It's Schindler's List? Correct. Oh, okay. oh, come on, guys. Yeah, that's embarrassing. Big Schindler's List. It is embarrassing. It's weird. Yeah, it's really embarrassing. Uh, so that's that's hanging around. Okay. Uh, some other movies, you got Mrs. Doubtfire in its 12th week of release. It's Ooh. made almost $200 million. Yeah, I think it ended up as the fifth highest grossing film of all time. Big one. Right? You got uh, a little movie called Philadelphia, which uh, is going to yeah. win Best Actor at the Oscars in a couple of weeks. Except they gave it to the wrong actor. They did. Um... Uh, you've got my father, the hero, with uh, Catherine Heigl and Gerard Depardieu. Oh, God, well, that's a movie they should make a sequel to. Oh, my father, the, still the hero. Yes. <laughs> you got Grumpy Old Men, which they did make a sequel to, yes. called Grumpier Old Men. Hyper Grumpy. <laughs> which is is that just a movie about old men that want to fuck? Yeah, yeah. they want to fuck Sophia Loren. Or no, is that number two? That's number two. I think the first one they want to fuck Anne Margaret. Uh, I think I Sophia Loren's not introduced. Yes, it's Anne Margaret. I think they they heighten with Sophia Loren the second one, and Burgess and, Meredith is like their, and Anne Margaret is is pretty hot to begin with. Yeah, uh, uh, Burgess Meredith is like their booger in that movie, right? Isn't Burgess Meredith like the horn dog? Hey, you gotta fuck women. Well, yeah, famous stickman Burgess Meredith. Famous stickman. I'm that's... glad you know that. I think that's one of the funniest things in the world. Uh, Do you know that my mom used to be close friends with Burgess Meredith? Uh, that's crazy. Yeah, isn't that weird? And, like, there's, growing up, there was a, a painting, like, a, a beautiful landscape painting we had in our living room. And uh, I remember when my dad rented Rocky for us for the first time. Uh-huh. My mom was like, you see that guy who's playing Mick? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, that guy made that painting. And I was like, you bought a painting for that guy to play Mick? And she was like, no, we were really good friends at the time. Him. He gave he, he gave him. me that. He made that painting for me. And then I did the math, and it was like, wait, so my mom was friends with, like, Legendary 75-year-old Burgess Meredith when my mom was like 21? I'm not saying anything. I'm not either. Grumpier old men has Anne Margaret and adds Sophia Loren. So my guess is that Anne Margaret ends up with one of the grumpy old men. One of them. The other one needs a, a love interest. Still yelling, still fighting. And my mom fighting. apparently wasn't available. <laughs> still yelling, still fighting, still ready for love. That's the tagline for grumpier old From men. the director of Daredevil. Uh, Mark um, Stephen Johnson. Or I'm sorry, he wrote... The two grumpy movies, and then directed Daredevil and Simon Burke. I believe you're right. Um, and Ghost Rider. It's a weird career. Yeah, he's he's an awful person. Yeah, he's um, a shit tour. Uh, you got in the name of the father. You got the piano, the Pelican Brief. A so, lot of like the hits. Oscar of holdovers. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, great episode. A great episode. Probably best episode we've ever done. Uh, I hope you guys are happy to yeah. be listening to us for a hundred times 100. now. One hundred. Oh boy, David. Whoever thought we'd make it this far. Nobody. I mean, seriously, I'm so surprised. You know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get emotional here for a second. Aww. Okay? Yeah. I tweeted Watto, though. <laughs> you, you did. St- you started running Star Wars bits at me on Twitter. Sure. You said we should start a podcast. And I was missing you. Let's I was be missing clear, because we were no longer doing trivia, and, uh, you know, it was a Griffin-sized hole in my life. And that was the linchpin of our friendship. We had a structure. Right. Well, yeah, because you're tough to pin down sometimes. I'm tough Very to pin down much sometimes. So. You're busy, and I'm just a mess. Mm-hmm. And so you're busy too, though. Sometimes sure. at that time I was not. Okay, fair. Right. Well, right, because you had a you could do a podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. For <Yes>. free. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at that time I was really busy. Uh, still being fired from a sitcom. Yeah, you were coming. You're at the tail end of being fired from a sitcom at that point. I think. Well, trivia was notably. But you were in vinyl. Right. Uh, or you were gonna be? Yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah. But yeah, you were kind of. You didn't have a lot to do. Yeah, but I, I don't know if you uh, remember this. Uh, 
it didn't have a lot to do on vinyl. Oh, no, I guess not. Yeah. yeah. Maybe had uh, <laughs> less collective lines than episodes I was in. If you want to do that, Matt. You're in that DVD box set, though. Like four times. <laughs> Did I tell you I bought the DVD box set? And on the inside, like the Blu-ray case, it's like a translucent case. Uh-huh. So on the inside, there's inside artwork. Uh-huh. And I'm in the inside artwork twice as well. Great. I'm like featured four times on the box art for vinyl. Yep. Um, hello. Uh, you were getting soft. But I never made a Lloyd team. What I was going <laughs> to say is uh, we we had this message chain. We were like, what would our podcast be? Mm-hmm. Star Wars, this and that. Where would we do it? And I said, let me reach out to Ben Hosley. You Excuse remember Excuse me. That's not true. You're getting it wrong. You said, I, this is a good idea, but I don't want to do it myself. Like, yes. we, we would need to find someone who would, like, you know, help us okay. produce and host. I said, I'll reach out to the UCB. You did mention Ben Hosley's name because, we, of course, I you had, had done the TCGS podcast, which you had guest hosted. I bet I could find the email a number of times. Uh huh. Ben had moved over, moved over to, UCB, to the UCB, and so you mentioned him. And I'd been talking about a little bit. No, you know what? You didn't mention him. It was Murph Meyer who told me about him. Who like reminded me? He had like texted me saying like, "Hey, UCB's interested in podcasts. If you like, if you want it." I think uh, I mentioned him, but I think I mentioned him in this capacity, I which is find the, the point email. I'm going to make, okay? I think the capacity I mentioned him in was, he's at UCB now, there's no way he'll go for this. <laughs> I like, I was right. like, at his old job, yeah. they, he right. might have been able to sell, but now he's working for the man. They won't want this dumb idea of us talking about Star Wars. <laughs> hey, Ben. Hey, guys. <laughs> I remember this all very fondly. And I sent Ben a very long email pitch. And I yep. said, I know this sounds like a dumb idea, but I really think we could make this. No, work. you're way off. All right, well, I'm yeah, fine. You sent it to me and Todd, the uh, former artistic yes. director. I definitely team. wrote that pitch. Let David. me see. I'm, I'm trying to find. I it. definitely wrote you, that. You may pitch. well because I write so few emails that I remember when I actually take the time to write one. <laughs> I'm so good at not writing emails, but the ones I do write stick out in my mind. I guarantee you, I wrote that. I'm, I'm just finding it. Well, all right, I'll jump in and say because you guys don't even know this. Uh, so Todd came to me. Yeah. And he was like, "Did you see this email from Griffin?" Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah. They, they. I don't, I don't, I don't know if this is a sustainable idea because <laughs> the pitch was they just wanted to do a phantom podcast. Our pitch was every Here's episode the, focus on one character. Here's the weird thing: we're both right. You wrote a pitch, but yeah. I emailed it for some reason. Oh, interesting. Yeah, here I can. I'll read the email aloud. Hey, Ben and Todd, my pal Murph Mayer. Meyer? I always forget how you Mark say Meyer. Mark Meyer. Gave me your emails because me and my friend Griffin Newman are looking to start up a somewhat unusual podcast, and I thought you guys might be interested over at UCB. <laughs> and then, and then yeah, I'm I like, definitely wrote this. And this I, reeks of Griffin. I, I wrote this part, okay. and I'm like, I, I work at The Atlantic, and Griffin's a comedian, or UCB regular, sure. you know, you know. Let me throw you our pitch. And then suddenly the font gets smaller, so I've obviously like copy-pasted yeah. something. Yeah, okay. And uh, this is the Griffin stuff. I'm not going to read it all, but it's sure, a yeah. lot. You read a little bit of it. We want to do a podcast entirely and exclusively about Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. We started talking about this film recently and started realizing how weird that fucking thing is, especially when you start examining on a macro level. You know, yak, 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 a lot about, uh, you know, the pitch that everybody knows. I'm right. trying to think. Our first, we're not going to do bullshit like an R2-D2 episode. We want to hang our hats on having an episode focus on a specific character as a starting point. Because that was our old idea, was every episode would be about one character. Episode 7, Gragra. We'll only talk about Gragra for exactly. an entire episode. Our ideal first episode subject is capital letters. Watto, the anti-Semitic <laughs> slave owner alien. A cursory glance at his Wikipedia entry shows that there's more than enough to dig into there. 
Ben, how did you say yes to this pitch? This is the dumbest shit I've ever read. So it's we, really dumb. We go and meet up with Ben <laughs> at a bar. And at Ben's like, look, I don't know if this is sustainable, but I just, I'm going to take a flyer on you guys. Yep. I'm going to trust knowing the two of you that you can make something out of this. But you came out with a lot of really fucking smart ideas from the beginning. You said, make it a mystery. Don't do it the episode focus thing. Yeah, you, you very something. wisely quashed the like one episode per character thing. Yeah. And you also wisely were like, this should be, you know, 10 episodes. Yeah, like rather than just you forever trying to scrape more out of Phantom Pod Menace. And then you were like, you should come up with a name that isn't specific to Star Wars because if this goes well, you should be able to do more podcasts about other stuff. And we were like, no, don't worry. We're going to do Phantom Menace forever. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, no, I remember all this. Yeah, sure. right, right. We were just like, no, 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 Phantom Menace. Ben, you don't understand though, and I'm like, I do, guys. This well's never going dry, Benny. Oh my god. Well, thankfully you listened to me. Everything that worked well in the beginning was thanks to Ben. Everything that didn't work was because we didn't listen to Ben. I remember we recorded the first episode, yeah. and it went like okay. It's the yeah. one where we just talk about the beginning of Phantom. It was Menace. all right. I think the last there's one good joke in the last ten minutes. Right, and we kind of walked out of there being like, hmm, all right, but like we certainly were not discouraged. Like yeah. we were like. Okay, you know, and then the second episode about the royalty in Naboo, right. I remember Ben being like, that was good, guys. Like, but you like, know, surprise. He was like, that was good. Yeah, guys. that was when he was like, you guys are, you guys have it here. Like, you, got, you have whatever you comic something. rhythm you need or whatever. You yeah. got something. We were the opposite of Mac, Mac, Apple, Apple II, famous sophomore slump. No, Apple II was not a sophomore slump. That was a huge hit. Whatever their second product was, was a slump. Okay. The, the Macintosh was actually kind of a bomb. When it first came, well, out. whatever. I'm the my the fucking, stylus writer thing. Yes, the yeah. Newton. I don't know something yeah, fucking. Sure. We we started cruising and uh, you know I, I mean uh, a lot of thanks to Ben. Ben's the best. I mean, without Ben, just thinking like good idea <laughs> or what or yeah. whatever. What did you think, Ben? You were finishing your story. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, the conversation I had with Todd is I said, like, I've worked with Griffin before. I know David as well. Sure. Because uh, I've been on the pod a few know, times. His reputation. Mm -hmm. He's on the podcast. Great reputation. And I'm like, this is a weird idea, but I think on a macro level, these guys just want to do a movie podcast. Yeah. And I think that they would be the kind of people that would actually uh, make the commitment to come in and do the records and give a shit. So, I just really sold it on your reputations, and he was like, yeah, fuck it, let's do it. See, and Ben, this is why you're you're smart, because on a macro level, we did not want to just do a movie podcast. No. We were very adamant about only wanting to talk <laughs> no, about I the know. Phantom Man Menace. Menace. We were stubbornly committed to but only then, talking about I think about quickly that we were like, oh, wouldn't it be good if we then we did Attack of the Clones? That yeah. movie's weird, too. Like, yeah. you know, we, we did figure out eventually. We figured it out, and then the podcast morphed into what it is today, and that's the other, the other person's that we need to thank are uh, our blankies. Uh, oh, yeah. Those blankies. Yeah, I mean, you, you folks have stuck with us. Uh, you know, wh whether you're joining in now, whether you're there from the beginning, the beginning of Blank Check, or, you know, the, the rebranding, or whatever it is, it uh, means a lot that you folks listen and you care. Yes. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like both of us are bad at responding to stuff, but we, we read everything that people yes, we do. write to us. And it means a lot. We have moments where we're just like, People really like it is crazy sometimes. track these bits, especially when we're recording these so far in advance. Right. When like two months later, we'll get a thousand tweets about some joke we don't even remember making. I love it when that happens. It's great. Uh, so so thank you uh, to the entire community for sticking with us for 100 episodes and 100 more to come. 500 more. Uh, 500 at least. Yeah. I'm looking at our Reddit right now. Yeah. Anything good? Lots of good. Okay, so I think this is the end of the episode, right? Yeah. Yeah.
cool. Uh, <laughs> thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate. What's next week, Ben? Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah, because this I is will, coming midstream in uh, yeah. Spielberg. Right? Uh, hold yeah. on, here I got it. Uh, last week was Cash Me If You Can. Okay, and then next week is The Terminal. Oh, another great episode. Good app. Bad movie. Good app. Okay, so now we can promise this. We can. After previously promising he'd be on the show, not again. Yep. Next week, The Terminal with Jerome Milligan. Great, and he was a great guest. It was a great guest. It was a great episode. It was guest, worth the wait. Good guest. Bad term. Mid null. Sure. Stay away from me. I'm sick. Trakosia. All right. Uh, thank you for listening. Please remember. Thank you for listening. One hundred times. One hundred times. One hundred times over. Uh, and as always, uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. Ben, for taking shot. Love you guys. Love you, Love you too, Benny. Next week is going to be uh, AI. Oh wow! Oh, good app. And we can let's announce this. David we have Reese. It. David Reese. Holy shit, that's a good app. How sharp in a pencil? Going deep with David Reese. Get oh, your war on. Fucking legend. Uh, election profiteers. Profit makers. Election profit makers. One of the best goddamn podcasts that you would never want to listen to again because yeah. you'd never want to re-listen to 2016 uh, election. But a thrilling, a thrilling episode. A thrilling guest. One of my oh, favorites of the love, miniseries. Love baby. David. Great episode. An academic one. I mean, we go hard on that. Oh yeah, it's a thinky episode. It's a thinky it's a episode. Mm-hmm. I actually, I wasn't able to make that one. Oh, that is true. Um, I sent uh, <laughs> oh yeah, I sent someone in my place. Yeah, but I, hey, no spoilers. I smell a bit. Uh, 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 you guys should listen to the Election Profit Makers mixtape though, if you ever want to listen to some fucking fire tunes. Yes, David Reeves. Okay, so uh, tune in for that next week. Uh, ben, what was last week? Uh. Oh fuck! I I already fucked it up too. Last week was same prep, Ryan, right? Yeah, yeah, I got I got the uh, annual check awards <laughs> confused with this one. He's an idiot. Yeah, so so we already did that. So you I listened to that, that months ago. Uh, yeah. Cut that out. <laughs> fuck! I'm sorry, guys. So wait, what's next? This has been a UCB comedy production. Check out our other shows on the UCB Comedy Podcast Network.